Well, yeah, Stephanie's been gone. She's in Delaware with Daniel right now, and I think they're kind of settled in and are getting settled in. He is, not her. <laughs> she's coming back. Bobby, she's coming back. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, she's been gone, but she was able to make up all these, uh, all the bulletins for, you know, last Sunday and this Sunday. And, uh, and so some of the things that are in the bulletin, like prayer requests, whatever, might be a little outdated possibly, but uh, it'll just remind you to pray for those people. There are times, too, when uh, Stephanie has made uh, maybe a little a goof, mistake somewhere there, and uh, you've probably let her know about it. <clears throat> and uh, so as, as you've gone through bulletins, I, I'm sure you've come across some really funny ones before. And uh, I've come across a list of some that I'd like to share with you as well <clears throat> and be able to, uh, I guess, laugh a little bit. <clears throat> One of the church... Uh, Blue, bulletin bloopers that I've come across is scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. I think there's a mis- uh, something wrong there in that. <clears throat> the pastor would appreciate it if the ladies of the congregation would lend him their electric girdles for the pancake breakfast next Sunday morning. I think there's some letters mixed up there. Don't think he wants electric girdles. <laughs> Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 to 8.30 p.m. Please use the back door. (laughs) The third verse of Blessed Assurance will be sung without musical accomplishment. (laughs) I've been there before. (laughs) The Reverend Merriweather spoke briefly, much to the delight of the audience. Maybe I'll delight you guys as well. The pastor will preach his farewell message, after which the choir will sing, Break Forth Into Joy. Hmm. Next Sunday, Mrs. Vinson will be soloist for the morning service. The pastor will then speak on, It's a Terrible Experience. <clears throat> Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. Please use large double door at the side entrance. <laughs> I would think Stephanie would catch that one. She wouldn't. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. Some of those little typos just mean a lot. The eighth graders will be presenting Shakespeare's Hamlet in the church basement on Friday at 7 p.m. The congregation is invited to attend this tragedy. Potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. Eight new choir robes are currently needed due to the addition of several new members and the deterioration of some older ones. Some explanation there. The choir invites any members of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. I think you need a G there for singing, not sinning, but anyway. Sometimes we say the wrong things. Sometimes it doesn't come across right. Sometimes we say things that we don't mean but we can be sure that God says what He means. <laughs> and God asks us to do what is completely the opposite of every human instinct that we possess. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to be humble. He said, if you want to be a leader, you have to become a servant first. He said, he mentioned too, it is the kind of lifestyle that gives joy through mourning, freedom through surrender, liberty through confession. And Jesus tells this crowd, along along with the disciples that have gathered on the mountain, that those who mourn are blessed because they will be comforted. Doesn't fit together for us. 
What about the, the abundant life Jesus uh, uh, talked about? What about uh, the joy? Doesn't he want us to have joy in our lives? Why this mourning? Why, why this expectation of mourning? It's completely the opposite than what we have learned. But Jesus knows that true blessedness begins with deep sorrow. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. We are continuing a series here on, on the Beatitudes throughout the summer. And on this one, we wind up in verse 4 of Matthew 5. Now, a couple of weeks ago, after referring to this verse and giving kind of an overview of all these things, uh, I shared the mind-boggling statistic that people worldwide consume 1.9 billion servings of Coca-Cola products every day. You can add to that people enjoying Pepsi products over 1 billion times a day in more than 200 countries around the world. Mark used to contribute to that. I don't think you do much anymore. <laughs> he was the Pepsi guy. <laughs> and hot dogs, right? <laughs> you, you, you may wonder, though, what the connection is here with these statistics and these numbers. I invite you to keep on wondering as I share with you a few more statistics. TV usage in the USA. In 2022, Americans spend, spend over 21 hours a week watching TV. And those in the South make up most of the top 10 states, with West Virginia being number one with 3.82 hours daily, while those in the West make up most of the states that average the least amount, with Oregon being number eight at 2.5 hours. And probably the, all the federal and state parks that are around, I guess, people enjoy outdoors more than sitting in front of the TV. But uh, men and women, 15 years and older, men... Uh, uh, spend three hours a day. Women spend 2.64 hours a day watching TV. And if you look at that, it's almost a full day out of the week in front of the TV. <laughs> and according to website marketingcharts.com, of March of, of this year, uh, they gave a report and said within the U.S., movies at 60%, and series at 59% are the most common types of content viewed when watching what they call linear TV, you, you know, broadcast TV. You can't stop it and, and go back. Followed by then the news at 51%, and then, of course, sports at 43%. And this is the report, part of the report that got me. Seven in 10 U.S. respondents use other devices while watching TV. <laughs> so... You're sitting there with your phone, watching TV, and you're doing other stuff, or whatever, your tablet or computer. And speaking of phones, smartphone use, usage in, in the good old U.S. of A, time spent on phones uh, average about almost three hours a day. The average American will spend nearly a month and a half, 44 days, on their phones in 2022. In 2021, it was 4.1 hours a day. And I'm sure in 2020, there's probably even more because you didn't have anything else to do. You were caught at home during the pandemic. And according to a website called commandotech.com, a report in 2022, Americans spend around 5.4 hours a day using their phones, and millennials are on their phones 5.7 hours per day, while baby boomers devote five hours to their smartphones. People check their phones 58 times a day on average, with more than half of those occurring during working hours. Hmm. 
I don't know how much is, uh, occurs during church time either, but anyway, I couldn't tell you. I, I, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> it's not my place. But anyway, but what's my point sharing all these, all these numbers? We are pleasure-seeking people. We are pleasure-seeking people. It's part of our nature to seek what feels good, and that's not a bad thing. We're made this way. Chocolate tastes good because we've been given the senses to appreciate it. Intimacy with our spouse feels good because God made it that way to bring a man and woman closer together physically and spiritually. And when this impulse for seeking pleasure is moderated by God's law and principles working in our hearts, it is a good and enjoyable part of who we are. God made us to enjoy pleasure. But it is all too easy to be consumed by this drive for pleasure, and not just for pleasure's sake. Sometimes, in fact, uh, too often, people seek comfort from their hurts within an ex excess of pleasure. In other words, we turn to indulgence to cover the pain, cover the hurt. Alcohol seems to be the most prevalent alternative, but anything that we consume can fill this role. Tobacco, food, sex, there are a bunch of methods we use to try to medicate ourselves from our pain or, or insulate ourselves from our problems. And our temptation to cover pain with pleasure can start in small ways. You remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? It's a quirky little tune about not letting things you can't control bring you down. It encourages the listener to be happy no matter what might be wrong in his or her life. Don't worry. Be happy. And I can agree that we should, shouldn't worry about, these, about, about all the different things around us, great or small. It can get us down, definitely. But simple happiness is not always the best antidote to the things that worry us. If we can't pay the rent, a grin isn't going to keep us in our home. <laughs> if a loved one dies, whistling a tune won't help us face their passing. The bottom line is that we live through events which can and will trouble us, will hurt us, and will cause us pain. And our human reaction is to mask it, is to ignore it or cover our pain with alternatives not so threatening. Then Jesus sends us in another direction, especially in this beatitude. He sends us toward, toward the pain. In this beatitude, Jesus is telling us that we find comfort for, from, our, from our hurts by facing them and mourning, expressing the hurt within us. Jesus came to help us face the harsh world we live in and not cover it with pleasure or ignore it through denial. And He doesn't just make this statement and then leave us to our own devices. He actually lives it out for us as seen in John chapter 11. Verse 32 says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he, he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So th this passage comes out of the story of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. And we've 
been in that passage before in other messages. Jesus had learned that his friend was, was near death days earlier when the sisters of Lazarus sent word to him to come and help. Things are bad. Things are wrong. By the time that Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Lazarus' sister, Mary, finds Jesus, and in tears she wishes that he had arrived sooner so that Lazarus would not have died. And this is the same Mary that honored Jesus by pouring perfume on his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. She's not angry with Jesus. She loves him with all her heart. Her words were right here mean nothing more than her wish that he would have come sooner. And isn't that our wish at times too? We've got concerns, and if only Jesus would show up when we want him to, <laughs> in our timing. But we've got to remember that his timing is perfect. But her emotions and the weeping of the crowd nearby begin to have an effect on Jesus. He's deeply moved and troubled. The same way we might be when we're faced with tragedy. Now, some people read this and think that Jesus' agitated spirit, the, the deeply moved and, and troubled spirit, is actually anger, which is directed against the crowd around him because they've already written Lazarus off and they are unwilling to believe that he can raise him from the dead. I think we need to recognize the fact that Jesus was human, just like you and me, Death is tragic, and the human reaction to the loss of a friend is to mourn his passing. It's very difficult to not, let, not get choked up in the, in the situation, especially when we are with others who are weeping or crying. You get caught up in the emotion with that too. Jesus would have said something to them about their faith. If it is their faith, that, that upsets him. He does in other situations, like when the disciples are fearful of the storm or unable to drive a demon out of someone possessed. Here he, he, is, he is deeply moved and troubled because he's facing the loss of a loved one. He feels this loss, just like any human facing the death of a dear friend would. Remember, he's gone through all and even more than we would ever go through. He knows how you feel. He knows what you're going through when you're feeling that same pain. But he doesn't wallow in his grief or hide from it. He moves quickly to confront this grief by asking Mary to take him to the tomb. Mary and the crowd take Jesus to the burial site, and when he sees the stone rolled in front of the tomb, he knows in his heart that Lazarus is dead. And confronted with, with this, he weeps for the loss of his friend. And his weeping is not a single tear running down his cheek. The word wept here means an emotional outburst of sorrow. It would be perfectly acceptable to read this verse as Jesus burst into tears. And the tears provoked two reactions from the crowd. One, some believe that, that his weeping is simply a sign of the love he must have had for Lazarus. See how he loved him. And then there's others think that his tears mean that he is unable to do anything about it. When they ask, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Well, we know the end of the story. Jesus calls out Lazarus, and, and he comes out of the tomb in perfect health, even though he had been dead and buried for four days. There's concern about how he might smell as well. But it's a happy ending, <clears throat> which begs the question, why did Jesus weep? He knew he could help, help Lazarus, so why, why did he cry? 
seems like he weeps because no matter what happens at the end of the story, his friend has died. It has happened. He didn't approach his friend's death as a mere speed bump in the road. He confronted death for what it is and mourned for the loss of someone special to him. He wept because he was fully human, and it is fully human to mourn when we face tragedy. When we are going through difficulties like that, it is, it is normal human <laughs> to go through mourning like that. Mourning is the reaction that settles in our heart once and for all that what we're crying over is indeed something worth crying for. Mourning helps us confront the depth of our loss instead of pretending nothing's happened or minimizing the impact of tragic events. It brings us into reality. It helps us face the truth. The tears of Jesus show us that He truly understands what we feel when life gets hard. He's been there. He's able to help us through the times we need to spend there as well. And there's another element here to the beatitude that Jesus shares with us here. It's in the previous verse, blessed are, are, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He has told us to face the fact that we need Him and that we are unable to face life without Him. And the reason for that is that we sin. <laughs> we sin. And when we do, we place ourselves in a position where we need Jesus to forgive us our sin and purify us. We need to be facing the impact of our sin. Not only must we face the wrong that is outside of us, but we also may, we need to be ready to face the wrong within us. Not just the hurts, but the actual sin that resides in us and be willing to mourn over them. To be poor in spirit is to admit our need for Christ. And in this context, mourning is not only facing the hard times in our lives, but it's also confronting the depth of, of our sin and feeling sorrow for it. There are nine words in the New Testament for sorrow, which reflects com the commonness of, of mourning in a person's life. But of the nine words used, Jesus uses the strongest word in this text. The Greek word for mourn represents the deepest, most heartfelt grief a man can experience. The word carries the idea of of a, of a deep inner agony expressed by outward weeping. It's a word used for mourning for the dead and lamenting a loved one. But Jesus is telling His followers that we must mourn over the sinful human condition as we would for a death of a loved one. Have you ever thought about that? I am sure you probably thought of a lot of other things about our governor. I'm sure you probably prayed some things about our governor as well. But have you mourned over the fact that she needs Jesus? Have you mourned over the fact that those people in your life that just rub you the wrong way, and they're nowhere, nowhere near following Jesus, they're on a, a, a track headed for hell, does that hit you hard? Does that cause you to mourn over that sinful human condition? And when we do mourn over our sin, we will find comfort through His forgiveness. James chapter 4, verse, verses 8 through 10 says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. 
Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. God says, true faith isn't found in prosperity, but in humility and brokenness. David expressed this in Psalm 51, where he says, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your, your presence or take, take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David realized the power and penalty of his sin, and he mourned his actions and his, his attitudes by seeking forgiveness from God. He realized that it was not through his efforts or goodness, but by God's grace alone that he could find comfort. So when David stopped hiding his sin and began to mourn, he found God. In Psalm 32, the first two verses says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. David expressed a vital spiritual truth. Blessedness doesn't come in mourning, but in God's response to that mourning. Godly sorrow brings God's forgiveness. Only mourners over sin can be happy because they have been forgiven. And, and contrary to popular belief, sin and happiness are totally incompatible. You can't be happy and still be in sin. To mourn is to have a deep inner agony over sin as if someone you loved has died. And there's a vital truth for us to understand. Mourning over sin in our lives is essential to spiritual health. If you want to have a vibrant, authentic relationship with God, then you must come face to face with who you are, grieve your condition, and turn to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Jesus isn't talking about the sorrow of grief, but rather the sorrow that leads to repentance. A person who truly mourns his sin will, will have sorrow over the power and effects of sin in the world, as well as over their own condition. If being poor in spirit is confessing our need for Him because of our sin, mourning over our sin shows Him that we care and that we know His forgiveness doesn't come cheap. <laughs> it's expensive. Sin and tragedy are two very different things, but our reaction to them should be the same. Confronting them for what they are, mourning over them, and then allowing Christ to do His work in our lives. With sin, He forgives us and tosses our sin as far as the east is from the, from the west. But just because His forgiveness is complete doesn't just, doesn't just mean that we should completely ignore the depth of it. We won't fully understand our salvation unless we can grasp the depth from which we are saved. 
and tragedy. Jesus will walk through it with us, help us get to the other side. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we do not have to fear because we know that He is with us. He may even in His wisdom turn the tragedy around and bring healing and restoration. But far more often than not, our path through tragedy is to face it, knowing that Jesus will not leave us on our own. You may not recognize the name Margaret Rose Powers, but you know the poem she wrote called Footprints. She writes, I saw a story unfolding in my mind's eye. My pen took over as I began writing it out. I saw myself walking along a beach with the Lord and scenes from my life flashed before us. But during the most painful scenes, I noticed only one set of footprints was left in the sand. I asked the Lord where he had been when I needed him most. Then I wrote down his reply. My precious child, I love you and will never leave you. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. So while this, this poem, this concept is pretty familiar, you may not know about the interesting story behind this poem. In the summer of 1964, Margaret was 20 years old and was recovering from meningitis on the family farm in Ontario. With meningitis, she was confined to, to bed for most of the summer. It was a difficult time for her. She had never felt so empty and afraid. And one August evening, she wrote in her diary, Lord, have you left me too? And on the road to recovery, the man who was to marry her took her for a walk along the shore of Lake Erie. The waves hissed into, the, into bubbles at our feet, she recalled. Paul stopped suddenly and pointed back at our tracks in the sand. See our footprints, Margie? On the day we marry, they will become like one set, not two. And that night, the image of footprints stayed with Margaret. She could not sleep, so she began writing in her diary those words that have inspired millions. They affirm to us that Jesus will bring us through the hardest times in our lives if we let Him, if we allow Him to carry us. Our part is to admit that life can hurt. It does. It will if it hasn't yet for you. And that we need someone to come comfort us, walk with us, and see us through. And Jesus is that person. And He has made us a promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I trust that if you're going through difficult times, that you will recognize that and realize the resource you have in Jesus. The one who can be with you and comfort you during those times, but also to the one who forgives your sin. <laughs> and we need to go to him. We need to go to him. I'm going to have the worship team coming up. They're going to lead us in the last couple of songs. And as, uh, as they do, the, the, the first song they're going to be sharing with us and we'll be singing with them is uh, Jesus, What a Savior. I think in any response to this message, that it would be that. What a Savior. What a Savior that loves us, wants to be close to us, wants to have that relationship with us, wants us to realize that as we go through those, those painful moments, those difficult times, He is with us. He will comfort us. We need to go to Him.
whatever your need is this morning, I trust that you will recognize His call on your heart and you'll respond. And if you need to use the altar here and pray, you can do that. Those are online. Create a little altar there too and you can do the same as well. But uh, just respond in obedience to what God has for you this morning if you need to respond to Him in such a way. But let this song be our prayer as well too, exclaiming how Jesus is an incredible Savior to us.